You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled, The Gift That Keeps On Giving, Part 3 of 3. Enjoy. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your ceaseless, endless love in our lives. We are amazed, regardless of, of what we've been through or what's going on, you're there. And you never stop caring for us. You never stop leading us. You never stop loving us. And we're here this morning because of that, that undying love. And we join our faith this morning and ask you, Holy Spirit, to mold us and to shape us, to change the way we think, that our thinking would be in line with your character, in line with your purpose, and in line with your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple Sundays ago, we started a three-part series for Christmas time, and it's called The Gift That Keeps On Giving. And who is that gift? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. And so far, we've talked about two aspects of this gift. We talked about the preparation for the gift, and I think sometimes that's almost as fun as giving the gift. And last Sunday, we talked about the revealing of the gift. And this Sunday, we're going to talk about opening the gift, okay? So let's, let's spend a few moments and just review some of the things that we've learned already. Two Sundays ago, the preparation for the gift, for Jesus coming into the earth. We looked at uh, Abraham and Isaac. And we found that long before Jesus came to earth as a baby, God was preparing for his coming. You can go all the way back into Genesis, and you'll see prophecies of Jesus coming. You'll see types and shadows of Christ all throughout the Old Testament. But the clearest foreshadowing of what God the Father would do through God the Son is Abraham and Isaac. And we looked at that two Sundays ago, and we saw that God called a man, gave a man named Abram at the time, who became Abraham, a supernatural promise. He was in his late 70s, early 80s, somewhere between the 75 and the age of 86 when God gave him a promise that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. It was a supernatural promise. It was not possible in any other way but through faith in the Word of God. It says in Genesis 15, I believe it's verse 6, that Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteous. So the preparation of the gift of Christ's coming was by faith. Abraham is the father of our faith. And he received the supernatural promise of God and Isaac came. And we said that not only has God, did God make provision for Abraham and Isaac through his supernatural promise, but God has made provision for you on December, what is it, 28th? Yeah, right? 2014? He's made provision for you through his supernatural promises in your life. So the gift was prepared by faith, and we saw last week that the gift was revealed by faith. Just like God spoke to a, a, an elderly man, and an older man, with a supernatural promise, he spoke to a young lady named Mary. He gave her a supernatural promise that a baby would be conceived in her womb apart from a man. 
That's supernatural, right? He said that you will conceive a son in your womb, and you shall call his name Jesus. And just like Abraham, Mary received the supernatural promise of God by faith. She said, let it be done unto me according to thy word. And that is the right response to the promises of God. Right? Regardless of how impossible it looks, we realize that impossible is not in God's dictionary, right? That's the one thing he doesn't know, what impossible means. So God gave this promise to Mary, and he said, you shall call this son, this supernatural son, you shall call his name Jesus. Now Mary was a Hebrew, and Hebrew children were very well schooled in the Torah, Right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and the prophets. And Mary knew full well the significance of the names of God. And God in the Old Testament, we saw back in Genesis 22, began to reveal himself as Jehovah, we say in English. And it was a unique covenant name that appears about 7,000 times in the Old Testament. I didn't count them. That's just what the uh, strong, exhaustive concordance said. Yeah, glad for computers. But it appears a lot. I know that. Yeah, Jehovah. But this name is very powerful. It was a name that was unique to Israel. It was the proper name for God, which comes from the Hebrew word Hava. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. But it means to be. But if you study this proper name of God, Jehovah, more specifically and dig deeper, it means much more than just to be. It means to become known. I am the God who wants to reveal myself unceasingly to you. That's what Jehovah means. The God who reveals himself unceasingly. God is a God who wants to be known by you. He wants to have a relationship with us. And we saw we, that uh, we looked at eight of the covenant names of God, beginning with, with uh, Abraham in Genesis 22. First time we see the name Jehovah was Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, we say. Uh, that, that Abraham discovered and realized God revealed himself to Abraham as I am the self-existent one who wants to be known by you as your personal provider, Jehovah Jireh. We saw in Exodus that God revealed himself as the self-existent one who wants to be known as your personal healer, Jehovah Rophe, right? We saw uh, Jehovah Nisi. I'm the self-existent one who wants to be known personally by you as your victory, your banner, right? The one who causes you to win in life. He was Jehovah, uh, is it, uh, Mkadesh, I am the self-existent one who wants to be known by you as your sanctifier, the one who separates you from the mucky muck of the world and brings you into my destiny for your life. Jehovah M. Kadesh and Jehovah Shalom. I am the self-existent one who wants to be known by you as your wholeness, as your prosperity, as your well-being. We say peace in English, right? untroubled, undisturbed well-being. And then we looked at some others. We looked at Jehovah Shammah, the God who's with you. And in the new covenant, he's not only with us, he's living in us, 
right? We looked at Jehovah Rohi. I'm the self-existent one who wants to be known by you as your personal shepherd, the one who leads you through life and feeds you and cares for you. And lastly, we looked at Jehovah Sidkenu. I am the self-existent one who wants to be known by you as your righteousness. God has given us his righteousness through Christ. Powerful. So Mary, when he said, you shall call his name Jesus, she was very familiar with Jehovah and the names of God. And Jesus means God is my salvation. God saves. Jesus, we find when we look at the ministry of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, that he is the culmination of every covenant name of God. He is our provider. He is our healer. He is our righteousness. He's our shepherd. He's our victory. He's our banner. He's the one who's living in us, who's leading and guiding us in our righteousness. All right. So let's get into the conclusion of this three-part series. Let's open the gift. Isn't it fun opening gifts? I love Christmas time. I love when we're all together in the living room there, and the music's playing, the lights are on, and we're just seeing what everyone got for Christmas. Well, opening the gift is something very important, and it changes our lives because this is a gift that God the Father gave us, his one and only son. Well, in order to really enjoy the benefits of the gift, you've got to know the purpose of the gift, right? But you got to know this. The purpose of the gift is not determined by the receiver. It's determined by the giver. Isn't that right? Let me give you a, a, something, an example from my life, something that God did about a year and a half ago, just a, a small example of his amazing love. I've got to go back a little farther than that, actually. Um, probably about two years ago. And uh, I was, uh, maybe it was a Saturday morning or something at home, just playing, playing my guitar, worshiping the Lord. And I was inspired to write a song about the much moreness of God, how he's just, he's much more than anything we could dream for. And and it's actually going to be on our album, 2015. But it's called Much More Than. And as I was writing this song, I had kind of a low-quality, low-end acoustic I was playing on. But inside, I heard this beautiful acoustic guitar playing, which I didn't have. So sometime after that, I was out and about running errands, and I stopped into a music store. And this is a music store. has a huge inventory. I went in the back in this climate-controlled room where they've got all the high-end acoustics, you know, for thousands of dollars. And I grabbed like one of the most expensive ones off the wall and I sat down. I was the only one in this little room. And I started worshiping God and singing that song. And I said, God, this is the sound that I heard. It's just the craftsmanship, the quality of the wood just made it so pretty. And I didn't have the money to buy it. I said, God, I want one of these. <laughs> and I asked my father for this guitar. And I put it back up on the wall, and I left and went about my business. And probably about six or eight months later, the song was done, and I actually was getting ready to make a demo for it. And I needed to record it, but I didn't have a, an acoustic to do it with. And I'm walking into my office, and outside of my office is this big box. And I didn't think anything of it. I just kept walking right by. And someone said, hey, what's that box? I said, I don't know. And they said, it has your name on it. It had my name on it. So I looked, it had my name on it. And then I looked at where it was from. It's from a very well-known in the music industry, a very well-known distributor of high-quality custom instruments in the, in the West, in Colorado. And I knew that. And now I was curious. It's got my name on it, and it's coming from 
a renowned place. So I opened the box, needless to say. And guess what was in there? A new toaster. No. Actually, yeah, yeah. This is this guitar here. It was the make and a model higher than the one I had asked my father for about six or eight months ago. And I, I held that thing in my hands, and I began to play it. And uh, there's a little card in the box. It was anonymous. And it just said they wanted to encourage us and bless us and didn't give a name. But what is the purpose of that guitar? It's really simple, to play it, right? Make music, sure. Now, now this guitar, it's a custom instrument. Beautiful craftsmanship for thousands of dollars. And I could have taken that home and made a shrine of it in my home. Put it up on a platform, some nice lighting, drew some pictures of it. And if I would have done that, I would have missed out on the inspiration and the music that it was designed to produce. Man's religion has done that with Jesus. They've made beautiful churches and stained glass windows. And, and they've put him up on a shelf. And they worship him from afar, but haven't experienced the reality that he's come to give them. We want to open this gift. All right? Now, even though it was anonymous, I knew who it was from. Because I had a friend. When you know the heart of the giver, the purpose of the gift is very clear. When you know the heart of God, the purpose of Jesus will become very clear to you. So I knew who this was from. And I knew what the purpose of, of the gift was. And I began to play it and haven't stopped since. In fact, because this person was a good friend of mine, they knew what I valued. They knew my heart. I knew their heart. Let me say it this way. When you have a relationship with the giver, the purpose of the gift becomes very clear. Okay? When you're walking in relationship. And when you have a, the relationship you have or don't have with the giver has a lot to do with experiencing the benefits of the gift. One of the key factors to the conflicting doctrines in the body of Christ is so many loving Christians, good people, but so many Christians who are so unfamiliar with the heart of God. And it's, it's, it's man's theology has clouded people's understanding of the heart of God and the purpose for Jesus' coming. And you can't really open the gift until you know that. You're going to miss out on it. See, so at Highway Church, we go right to the giver. We bypass man's reasonings. We don't ignore them. We look at them. But we always line it up with the Word of God. We go right to, to the giver by opening his holy Bible, by opening the Scriptures. And when you go right to the giver, you'll find that God is not the uh, distant, far away, mysterious God that man's religion has made him out to be. So let's go to the giver right now. Let's go in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going right to the giver because we want to open this gift. We want to know the very purpose that God gave us his son. Not what man says, but what the giver says. I'm sorry, I said Hebrews chapter 11. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. 
very first chapter of the book of Hebrews. This is very powerful. In verse 1, we read, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, you can follow along on the screen if you'd like, in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. Why did God speak to us through the fathers and the prophets? Because he's Jehovah, the God who wants to reveal himself unceasingly. He wants us to know him, right? So in these last days, he's spoken to us through who? Jesus, right? Through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Through him also he made the world. Now look at verse 3. This is a key to opening the gift. Jesus it's talking about, right? Jesus is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. So Jesus, according to God the Father, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of God's nature. Why is that important? When we're looking at Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Acts, we're looking at God in the flesh. Everything Jesus said and everything he did, he perfectly expressed the heart of God. Very important to understand that. If you, ever, you guys remember that phrase that was popular years ago, WWJD? What did that stand for? Yeah. It's an interesting question. I think there's a better question. What did Jesus do? See, we don't have to speculate. There's so much speculation in man's theology because they're unfamiliar with what he actually did. What did Jesus do? Not what would he do, what did he do? I don't have to wonder, I can read it every day. So the question is, what did Jesus do? That's what I want to know. That's what I need to know because he's already done it. Okay? In John chapter 14, verse 6, I mean, I, I, this is the first book I ever read in the Bible was the book of John. Changed my life forever. Grew up in a very large denominational church with stained glass windows of Jesus, but never knew him, never talked much about him. And when I read his words in the book of John, my life was changed forever. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, he says something very extreme and very superlative. He says, I am the way in verse 6. Not a way, but the way. The truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. What does that mean? No one, no man can have an intimate relationship with God as their Father apart from the revelation of who I am. Let me say that again. No person can have an intimate relationship with God apart from the revelation of who Jesus is. He came in the flesh so that there would be no confusion as to the heart of God and the purpose of God, that Jehovah's purpose and heart would become very clear to us. And later on, just a few verses down in John 14, he said something astounding. He said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. I mean, this guy's either nuts or he's God right? In verse 10, he says, the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. 
Jesus is the key to understanding the heart of God. He's the key to understanding the Old Testament, and he's the key to understanding the epistles. Why is that important? You still with me? If in my life, if I've come to a conclusion about God that can't be supported by the ministry of Jesus Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, I've made a mistake. It's a safeguard for us. We exalt the person of Jesus above our own reasonings, even above our life experience. He is the representation of God. He's God in the flesh. So we can know exactly what his purpose is for our lives by studying Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Let me give you a couple examples. Very common. We all know the term eternal life, right? If I were to ask 100 Christians, what does eternal life mean? Chances are the results would be the answers, most of the answers would be have something to do with heaven, right? Going to heaven. However, that is not what eternal life is. How do I know that? Is it my own speculation? No, I read the words of Jesus. See, I don't have to come up with my own definition of eternal life. Jesus defined it for us. Let's look at that. Well, let's go to John chapter 3 first. John chapter 3. And then we're going to look at his definition. Now, John chapter 3, verse 16 is one of the many verses where the, where the two words eternal life show up. Verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Now, most of Christianity reads it this way, but will go to heaven someday. Not what it says. Will not perish, but have eternal life. Well, what is that? John 17, verse 3, Jesus defines it for us. And this is eternal life, that they may know you. That's the same Greek word when it said Jesus, G, Joseph knew not Mary until after Jesus was born. A Jewish idiom that conveys the union of a husband and a wife. If you'll read through the New Testament and in the Old Testament, you'll see that our relationship with God is likened unto a marriage, a union. This is eternal life that they would enter into union with you, that they would know you as a husband knows his wife. There are things you could tell me about Jennifer and say she did this and did that. I'll know if it's true or not without even having to, ever having to, even if I'm not there or I didn't know anything about the situation, I'll know how she behaves because I know her. And when you know the heart of God, you'll be able to decipher in your life what's from him and what's not from him, regardless of what man's doctrines will say. It's knowing his heart. So we esteem the words of Jesus. So isn't it a different way of thinking? If instead of Christianity being something about getting to heaven, it's about knowing God. It's not about a distant, far away, something that might, that's going to happen someday, I don't know when. It's about today walking with him. It's about getting up in the morning and hearing his voice, putting my faith in his supernatural promises and letting God show up in my life. It's not about a shrine. 
It's not about special lighting or or stained glass windows. It's about a day-to-day living relationship with the Father, and it's only possible through faith in Christ. That's why he came. Now, if you have eternal life, heaven's your home, and you'll be there. But that's not what it's about. It's about knowing him. Give you another example. You know, that's what repentance means, right? It means to think differently. When we look to the words of Jesus, it changes the way we think. And you've got to be willing to to take that step because people will criticize you for it and embrace his words because God's the same God that spoke to Abraham. He's going to speak to you. He has supernatural things he wants to do in your life. Somewhere along the line, I remember this when I first got saved, and I mean, I grew up in a large denominational church. I didn't know there was any other type of church. And when I got saved, I thought I came into real Christianity. And I thought they were Christians, and then my, the thing I came from. And then I met, I was at, on, a, on a college campus, about 18,000 students, a bunch of different Christian groups on campus, and I found that, that some, some ministers said that God it went on a sabbatical. And hasn't come back yet. In other words, the, the, the things we see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, they don't happen anymore. That was just for the first generation of disciples so God could, you know, kickstart the church. But now we just kind of go through life like everybody else waiting to get to heaven. I didn't see that anywhere in the Bible. I said, well, what do they base that belief on? Where are the words of Jesus that support that? You won't find them. They pulled one scripture out that was out of context and didn't line up at all with the person of Christ and the ministry of Christ. So here's another example, God's sovereignty. God is sovereign, no doubt about it. He is Adonai Jehovah, the sovereign Lord, right? But his sovereignty has been greatly misunderstood in a very popular teaching in the body of Christ is that everything that happens in the earth is his will. That, that God has some mysterious meaning behind tragedies and sickness and disease. I don't see Jesus teaching that. If you'll read through the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus calls Satan the prince or the ruler of this world. Paul called him the God of this world. We're living in enemy territory. We're living in a fallen world that's falling apart. It was never God's plan for Satan to be the prince of this world. We've learned at Highway Church how that happened, right? And Romans tells us that that God gave the sovereignty over the earth to Adam, and Satan seized that sovereignty, right? And Jesus came to to take that back. So the sovereignty, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Not only did he say that Satan is the ruler of this world, when his disciples asked him how to pray, he taught them to pray in this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where? Yeah, where we live. We live on earth. We don't live in heaven, right? Why do we have to pray for God's will to be done in the earth? Because it's not automatically done here. There'd be no need to pray that way if it was. We're in hostile territory. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, he said, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, one translation says. Why do you have to forcefully advance? Well, in the military, you have to forcefully advance because there's an enemy opposing you. 
There is an enemy in the earth opposing the will of God for your life. And if you accept everything that comes your way, you're going to miss out on what he has for you. So we're in enemy territory, and it says, and the forceful men lay hold of it. Wow. And we see Jesus operating according to the words that he spoke. Isn't that awesome? We see Jesus rebuking sickness and disease, not accepting it. We see him rebuking demons. We see him rebuking the weather, not embracing it. I'll see posts on Facebook, embrace the storm. Where is that from? Jesus rebuked the storm. See, there are different concepts out there that don't line up with the person, the exact representation of God. So Jesus rebuked these things. In fact, he was accused of doing what he did by the, the, the religious leaders, said you're doing what you do by the power of Beelzebub, right, Satan? Isn't that funny? The good things he was doing, they said if Satan was behind it. And he said something very interesting. He said, well, if I'm doing this by Beelzebub, then his kingdom's divided and it's not going to stand. But if I do this by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. So if God, if God was behind sickness and disease and natural tragedies, which insurance companies call acts of God, then he was rebuking his father. And we know that didn't happen, right? God is not a conflicting schizophrenic personality. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 8 tells us just that. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He has no need to change. He's always been perfect. Regardless of the political climate or economic climate, he's the same. The same Jesus that rose Lazarus from the dead is in our midst, according to his word. Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. Hmm. A different way of living. Okay, here's the purpose. Another, another statement of purpose. We read John 3.16, John chapter 10, verse 10. This is God talking. And we revere him. So if he says it, if it doesn't line up with what we've been through or our theology, we change. Because he's God and we're not, Right? God's talking, and he says it's the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Let me read it to you in another translation. Amplified says, I came that they may have and enjoy life. Amen. Do you know joy is sadly lacking in many Christians' lives? Because they're, they're, they study the economic climate of the earth. They study the political climate of the earth. And as a result, they're frustrated people. Jesus came that we would have and enjoy life. And have it in abundance. Boy, is he something, huh? He just doesn't care what people think of him, does he? He just, he just defies the religious uh, conclusions of the day and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Listen to the message translation. This is just, we're just reading the Bible. I came so they can have real and eternal life. Oh, you up there? Okay, I jumped ahead. Okay, real and eternal life. More and better life than they ever dreamed of. Wow. The living Bible 
This is God talking. My purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. What would happen if you just took God at his word? Let go of your, your, of your catechisms and just took Jesus at his word. The New Living Translation says, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The Weiss translation, verse 10 says, I alone came in order that they might be possessing life and that they might be possessing it in super abundance. Wow. Wow. This is God talking. What did Jesus say? What did he do? There you have it. I don't have to ask the question. I can just read it for myself. Isn't that great? So we open the gift of God's Son by taking Him at His word, not creating our own version of Jesus or, 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 or blindly accepting what previous generations have told us about Jesus. We read His words for ourselves, and we embrace them as the Lord that He is, right? If He said it, I know it's true. His word is the only foundation we can build our lives on that can't be shaken. You ready for another one, John chapter 14? This is Jesus talking. Because religious people today, they don't mind so much you talking about Jesus doing supernatural things. But when you start expecting those things in your life, they'll get upset with you. But look what Jesus, God in the flesh said. John chapter 14, 12 through 14. I tell you the truth. Of course he does, right? He's God. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. Religious mind tilts right here. See, Jesus will take you where religion can't. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I'll do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. See, the words of Jesus promote intimacy with God, not distance. Man's religion will, 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 will cause you to feel insecure. I don't know if I can ask God for that. I don't know if I can come before God. I didn't do this right. Religion will give you a checklist of things that you have to go through every day. And if you do all those things right, then maybe you can ask God for something. Well, Jesus fulfilled the checklist of the law. We come with boldness to God's throne, not because we're goody two-shoes doing everything, but because Jesus is our sacrifice. We're coming under the blood of Jesus Christ, that he was made sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, let's bring this thing to a close. Hebrews chapter 11. You remember that? We were there earlier. We were in Hebrews anyway, Hebrews 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Isn't it interesting? that faith today is often uh, considered to be presumption and insecurity is considered to be humility. Yeah, doubting is considered to be humility. But when you're bold and you have faith in the promises of God, often you're criticized for that. 
But Jesus tells us, he's the author of the scriptures, right? In Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is being sure and certain. And Hebrews 11.1 1 is known as the hall of faith. Some call it that. Because if you read the whole chapter, you'll see a, a listing of, of those who, who followed God and the supernatural things that God did through them. But if you'll go all the way to the end of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, they, and they did not receive the promise. Who's the promise? Jesus. In other words, all the Old Testament saints, they were looking for the Messiah. It says that Abraham was looking for a, a, a city whose, whose foundation, whose builder was God. See, there's an unchangeable foundation that they were all looking for. And what is that unchangeable foundation? Who God is. Jesus Christ. He's the unchangeable foundation that nothing can shake. It's a foundation not built by man. We didn't create God. We just accept him or do our own thing, right? So we're on the threshold of 2015. I want to challenge you to change the way you think. You may have been thinking like you've been thinking for a week or 10 years or 30 years. But I want to challenge you in your private time to get your Bible app or your old school book and go to the words of Jesus and say, does what I believe about God line up with the exact representation of God in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or Acts? I think you'll find it's quite eye-opening. I did something years ago that was a great exercise. I read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Jennifer and I both did it uh, three times in 30 days. And we did it in the Amplified Translation. I got so much out of it, I did it again for another 30 days. <laughs> it created a very clear picture of God's will and God's heart in our hearts. Mm -hmm. So open the gift. Don't let man's reasoning keep you from experiencing the abundant life that Christ came to give you. The same Jesus that raised Lazarus from the dead, that healed the sick, made the lame walk and the maimed whole, is the Jesus that's living in you if you've put your faith in him. Let's pray. Father, we love you so much this morning. I'm just so glad you're so refreshing. You're so different than this world. There's no fear in you. There's no speculation about you. There's nothing you don't know. You never had to learn anything. I'm so glad to have a father like you who is and was and ever shall be, who does the impossible. And Father, we are here this morning because you are the God of heaven and earth. And Lord, I pray for every heart here this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask you to encourage and lead us forward in you. Encourage every heart to take you at your word, to put their faith in your supernatural promises, to let your word become the foundation of our thinking the foundation of the way that we live on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and, and New Year's Eve and all throughout next year. We're so excited about 2015 because you're our Father and you've brought us into union with you as your very own sons and daughters. And we thank you for your will, abundant life, manifest in our lives in 2015.
In Jesus' name. God has given you the greatest gift of all time, his son, Jesus. Open the gift by taking God at his word. Let who Jesus is and the supernatural promises of God's word form the foundation of your life. In Jesus' name, amen.